1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we'll be doing verses 1 through 9 today. 1 through 9? Yes, 1 through 9. Let's start off with some prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time as we gather around your word, and we ask you, Lord, to speak wisdom into us. As we dive into this chapter, Paul's um, talking about people on spiritual milk. And milk is necessary. When we're infants and we're young in Christ, you give us that very essential nutrition that not only keeps us alive, but gets us into the state of growth of your son, Jesus Christ, here for us. Yet we're encouraged, Lord, to still continue on, to develop into solid food, to mature as Christians. Help us learn what that means today, and help us to always walk in your word and your ways. Pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. As we start today, I always got a discussion question for you, and it's this. What would it look like if you acted your age? <laughs> Better than if I acted my shoe size. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Uh, ten and a half. How often do I act like my shoe size? Too often. <laughs> or dissect that. What do, what do you think it means to act your age? Be more mature. Be more mature. We talked about that last week That's a bit. That's normally yeah. what people mean when they say act your age. Act your age, yeah. yep. <clears throat> and oftentimes, when is it used, that phrase? When you're immature. When you're immature <laughs> or someone's, and someone's angry about it. Yeah. Right. Right? Yeah. Oh, act your age. I can hear my mom saying it right. in my nightmares. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's that, uh, that Freudian uh, concept of regression, you know. Ah, you yes. Regress to your uh-huh. childhood with your temper is normally. Yeah, well, see, and th- that's where it's not. your temper. That's where I feel like it would be appropriate, <clears throat> like, to say it when, it when it comes to when we regress in acts of, right. um, usually it's when you get, it's it actually fits in very well with what we get into here today. When you give into temptation or immediate, urgent, um, you'd say emotion. Mm-hmm. Paul will talk, will talk about it today as a Greek word for it, but when you're dominated by the flesh, when you allow yourself to give into temptation, that's that regression. Act your age, what does that mean? Well, gosh, you know, if you think when you're younger and you looked up to people and you consider, wow, my dad has such great discipline. He has great self-control. He has such... Um, he's so wise. I love the way that he talks and he can interact with people. That would be acting my age if I thought it was his age. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm now of the age that I remember my parents when I was younger. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember my mom's 34th birthday and blowing out candles and everything. And I'm 35. So I'm like, oh, you know, I, I think of how my parents were at my age today and how, what, how I thought of them. And just, wow, I was so amazed by them. And now here I am at their age and my kids are kind of doing the same thing to me, but I'm going... You have no idea what's under the surface. (laughs) I may look like I got it all together, but boy, howdy. And they think I know exactly what to do and how to parent them. I'm praying every second, every day, reading reading different parenting books that all have conflicting information. That's the worst. You read two different parenting books, and they tell you the exact opposite things to do, and I'm like, there's there's no help. I'll just read the Bible and pray. (laughs) Still. Yep, so to act... Your age. And that's really important, especially as we get here into the beginning, as Paul starts, you know, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. For even now, you are not yet ready. You are still of the flesh. We'll unpack that in a second. Um, but you have that idea of regression, right? You are, Paul has a higher expectation of these people. You know, he was there five years ago planning a church, and he says, you are still 
you, you still can't handle more than spiritual milk. And there's, there's a difference when you go from an infant to a child or even an adult. You have different expectations. I would hope that Ross would have different expectations in his third grade class than he would on my three-year-old son. I, I would. I would hope that like, he wouldn't let them get away with the stuff my three-year-old son can get away with, you know, cognitive brain development, all that kind of stuff. Like, I, you can get psychological and biological with it, but there's still a sense of, you know, or, um, or Hayden, right? you know, Ryan and Alexis' new baby we were just praying for. Hope you'd have different expectations on Hayden, who is uh, not even 24 hours old yet, than a third grader. And then mm. the same sense when you get to high school with a freshman. And the same sense when you get to someone in college or if they're in trade school, you know, starting a young apprenticeship compared to a master craftsman or a oh, master's trade degree. school, you're dealing with tradesmen who have the mentality of the third graders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Say that on your behalf. Yeah, <laughs> fair. <laughs> yeah, fair. But still, you know, you would have different expectations, not just for each grade group, but just, um, but age level in what they can handle. And Paul's saying, you guys are acting like babies. You can't even get off milk. You can't even just, you know. And and you think of an infant and dependency, and. There's an allowance. You can't discipline uh, like a two-month-old child, a two-month-old baby. You can't. They're going to wake up. No, I told you not to wake up okay, or cry in your crib. I told you to be quiet. It doesn't work. You have to, you know, they're just, you have to, they give in to all their temptation all the time. Right when I feel like, you know, as a two-month-old, two I cry because I want food. I cry because I want you to change my diaper. I cry because I want you just to be by here. And if you're not by me, I'm going to cry until you come. Right? That's what it means to be an infant. And Paul's saying, guys are still acting like infants. You still are so dependent. And there's a dependency in Christianity that's good, right? To realize our dependence on God in the same sense that, like, you know, when you're early in your infancy in Christianity, right? You are fed spiritual milk. It is all, it is all grace all the time as it always is. But it's like, this is all new to me. I'm just realizing that everything is sustaining. This is so good. Then after a few years, it's like God says, I've built you up. You know, and he tells us that all the time. I am building you up into my people. I'm building you out. And just like Jesus says, I've built you up. You've been with me and now I send you out. Mm -hmm. God is saying, I've, I've built you up. I've given you the milk you need to survive and to grow. And then I want to give you spiritual food, something to chew on, something that's going to build you, make you stronger. It could be adversity. It could be challenges in your faith. It could be challenges in your walk with me. But I'm doing that to build you up and make you stronger. Go out and do my work. And Paul's saying, you haven't even gotten that far yet. And as you look at, I mean, we're talking all the way back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He was talking not just about wisdom, but the heart of the matter is the division. And part of the division is this idea of the natural person versus spiritual person. We talked about that. I don't know if that's on my slide. In my Bible, I have there worldly. Is worldly what you're talking Is worldly... I have NIV and it just says, but you are worldly. You are world, uh, you worldly. Is worldly the word that, that we're saying is back to... For you are still of the flesh. You're talking worldly there. That's what yours says. So, yeah, mine says, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mm -hmm. You're infants in Christ. So yours says, in the flesh. In the flesh. And actually, we're going to unpack that word, what it means to be in the flesh, and what it actually, you know, sarkatos. So that's a natural person, is that... Yeah, natural, natural person. We're going to actually take a few steps back okay. and get a running start into this chapter. So go ahead and someone, <laughs> if you can read um, 2, verse 6, and then 2, 12 through 13. If someone could take that for me. 2, 6, and then 12 through 13. 
Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. And then, uh, did you do 12 through 13? Did I miss that? 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Great. So, what, who and what are spiritual people? We talked about this a bit last time. Who and what are spiritual people? Those that are in the Holy Spirit, those that are in God, in Christ. Yes, yeah. Understand Sure, yeah, so understanding the deeper things of God. in So we have this way of being in the Spirit of God, abiding in Christ, so that Christ abides in us. So that word again for spiritual is pneuma, which means breath. It's, I don't, I talk a lot during the week, so if I think I said something in this class and I repeat myself, forgive me. But uh, that word pneuma, it's the same word that we go back all the way into Genesis. Even you read the Septuagint, that's the entire Bible in in the ancient Greek, mm-hmm. the old Greek language, that word pneuma is when God creates Adam and he breathes into him the breath of life. He, that word pneuma, he breathes into, a pe- into Adam a piece of his own spirit. Saying, I am breathing into you my spirit. That's why we say we're made in the image of God. It's not necessarily like an action figure that looks like G.I. Joe and just a smaller version of G.I. Joe. Maybe, sure, I, I'm not one to not say that. But when we say the image of God, it's, there's an imprint of God within us. Because he gives us a piece of himself. So we have that, pneuma. So when we read spiritual people and the Holy Spirit, we read pneuma, the breath of God. The breath of God is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you so you can comprehend the things of God. We talked about that a bit before, right? Only the spirit of a man can comprehend the understanding of that man. You know, we talked about our dogs. If I had a dog and you had a dog and I, you're, our, both our dogs died, I would say, I'm sorry that your dog died. I'm do- going through the exact same thing you are, so we must feel the same way, which isn't true. Our relationships with our dogs are different. We're different people. Who knows what you're going through except for the spirit that's in you. And we have this great duality of you have your own spirit within you and you have God's spirit within you. So you always have God who understands you. So who and what are spiritual people? Spiritual people, we would say, are the mature, right? Mature in Christ, mature in understanding, great word. Their understanding, I love hearing that uh, there's a difference between knowledge and understanding, right? The knowledge of God could be uh, when people look and they said, yes, I read the fictional account of God and Jesus Christ. I have all the knowledge, yet their understanding is that it's fiction, right? Their understanding isn't fulfilled compared to not only do I know what happened, I've been given the spirit of understanding of what God mm-hmm. has done for me. And then how to proceed from there. So that's a spiritual person. We could read 2 verse 14. Chapter 2, 14. He's got that. 2.14. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Yes. So in my translation, you can see I kind of put up what I had in my translation. But you said, the man, right? What mine says is the natural person, which makes it kind of more a bit more... It's dis- the man without the spirit. The man without the spirit. And that's kind of more of a... 
So with the NIV, and again, it's not a bad thing, you'll get an ideological translation, like this is what's trying to be communicated. Mm -hmm. In the ESV, you get a bit of the idea and you get a bit of the literal text. If you go to something like NASB, North American Standard Bible, right? That one is a, they're, what they're trying for there is a literal word from word translation from the Greek. So you kind of have, you know, the three pieces, NIVs over here, e, the NASBs over here, and ESV somewhere in the middle. Yeah, go with whichever one you, you like. They're all, they're all good. You know, these are all lifetime super critical scholars of the language that have far more comprehension of it than I could ever dream of. Editors and editors and editors, right? That's what's really nice about a Bible translation that when you look in the beginning, it's like there's a lot of names at the beginning. Good. I hope there was a lot of accountability in translating the Word of God. Um, but that's a kind of a literal translation of this. The natural person, meaning the one without the Spirit. So how is that natural? Well, you think since the fall, that is what's natural, right? We're born into sin. We're born into a broken world. My, one of my favorite words in Hebrew language is shalom, right, which means peace. But what it means more literally is a wholeness. So peace is a wholeness with God, a sense of being complete. And that's what shalom means. You know, when I say shalom too, it's like, I, you know, it's a prayer. I want you to have completeness with our Lord. Wow, that's great. So that's when, when Jesus says, I give peace to you, not peace as the world gives, but the peace that I give, it's like, Jesus says, I'm the only one that can give you the peace of God. And you kind of, if you take that out, take that same word and play with it a bit, I can give you the peace that you're missing. Like, like the piece of the puzzle that you feel like you're missing. I can give you the wholeness of God. Because that's what Jesus does. That's the peace he gives to us. The natural person is broken and empty. Right? The one without the spirit, like Ross just read. So we have the who and what. We have the who and what. Now we start getting into ver chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Can someone take that? I know we already I read it once, but if someone could read it out loud again. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. Mm -hmm. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Yep. Indeed, you are still not ready. Yep, you stop right there. So now, what is Paul saying about the natural person, or the one without the spirit, and the spiritual person, and what then is an infant in Christ? Infant in Christ is, seems to be the transition from natural person to spiritual person. Okay, yes, you're right there. So the yeah. transition between a natural and spiritual person, good. What else? The natural person doesn't accept the word of God, it's foolishness to him, Yep. but the infant... Does. Started. Started to, yes. Yet, what? They're still worldly. They're still worldly, right? We described an infant right at the beginning. You know, Aaron, Aaron Hayes' description, Vipers and Diapers, is always mm -hmm. makes me laugh because just how the sense of how true it is. It's like infants are selfish. And that's, they have to be. That's how they can survive. They can't say, you know, one day, well, my mom and dad aren't feeding me, so I'm going uh, to pull myself up on my bootstraps and get a job at three months old. It doesn't work. So there's a sense of like, that's the natural person. You know, naturally we become selfish. Naturally we look at things that just feed into us. And Paul's saying, these people here, you're, you're in this transition from natural to, to spiritual, but there's something holding you back. You are held back by something. What could it be? And we've kind of unpacked that a bit. 
right? There is a division between the natural person <coughs> and the spiritual person right now. And where at once, I might be way ahead of myself, but where at once where Paul, Paul writes to us in Romans, you know, you were once slaves to sin, but now because of the grace of God, you are free in Christ. It's like, well, at one, one point you were chained, but those chains are now broken. So why are you still held back? Because now that the chains are broken, as you are being moving from darkness to light, you, you turn around <laughs> and you're still grabbing it. You're holding on, is what Paul's saying. It's no longer sin that's chained you so you can't experience God. You have turned around and now you've grabbed hold. And this happens a lot by the way that you live. As we've kind of discussed a few times, right? The way the Corinthians are living now, that he says you're living in the ways of the flesh. You're living by uh, worldly standards. You're still participating in the meat of the altars of idols. You still participate in the parties of the worship of idols. The practices, the prostitution, all these things you're still part of. And that's why he's writing this letter. Probably all over the place. But yeah, go ahead. You know, I have a question. Okay. Um, so there's this New Age religion that doesn't believe in God, but they believe in the spirit that they kind of make up. Mm-hmm. So they say they're spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. They say they're spiritual. A lot of people do. Yeah, yeah. the old Shirley MacLaine yeah. stuff. You know. Mm-hmm. All this, the way. And Wisdom of God is foolishness, yep. <laughs> how do we explain this to them? You know? well, it, part well, of it's... You, you don't. They're, 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 it's still a natural person. I mean, you consider any... And, you know, what's, what's amazing about Christianity is it's the most... Christ came to redeem all, so it's for all people, yet he says narrows the path of righteousness. It's still only through Jesus. You know, it's not all roads get to the same end. There's one road. And it goes one way, and it's open to everybody, but it doesn't mean people are going to try a different path and be disappointed. You know, because it's not just spiritual people. It's going to be, you know, you know, you go Hindu, you go Buddhist, you go is it uh, Islam? I'm not sure what the Israeli. No, it's like the people of Israel. So I guess Islam, right? And and anything in between, and anything else anybody makes up. You know, there is. This is not something I necessarily find here. But, you know, Aaron talks about it often. He talks about the unknown Christian. You know, is there someone out there that knows the truth of God, that God has revealed himself to, but maybe not in the vein of Christianity? Mm -hmm. I don't know. God's the only one that knows the hearts of all people. Mm -hmm. But I often tell people, don't hedge your bets against things that are told you directly. Mm-hmm. You know, baptism is always one of those discussions. So it's like, well, you know, I don't need to be baptized because you see how Jesus saved um, the thief on the cross. Mm-hmm. He didn't have time to baptize him, so why do I need to be baptized? Mm-hmm. Because Jesus tells you to, mm-hmm. right? Why hedge your bets on the except? Why, why place all your bets on the exceptions rather than the rule? Right. right. You know, yeah. oftentimes we're told to listen to our 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 parents, our elders, those of those people of wisdom. Why go against that just because it worked out one way for one person one other time? So is this where individuals who know God but don't follow organized religion fit in? Ugh. Mm. Man. No, it's a pretty if, big... If it's too deep yeah. a topic, we don't have to... No, no, it's... I, I, it's just, I've, I've been meeting a lot more of those kind of people. They're just mm-hmm. kind of like, I can't deal with the human... Aspect and how they're controlling religion and how then religion turns around and controls you. I do believe in God. Mm, yeah. He and I have a relationship. 
Um, I do hear him when he speaks to me. Some of them have mm. spent time in the Word. Some of them, I don't know if they do or not. They mm. have not specifically stated as such. Mm. But that's where I'm... Sure, sure. Um, I think it's, 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 that in some way too. It, it does. So what I go back to, I think of all the time when I taught a, a Bible class at Crossway, my very first year there, and I had someone who came to Bible class and never to church. And he said, oh, I don't go to church because I can just leave and I can go hunting. I spend my time with God in nature. Right. And yeah. I feel yeah. at yeah. peace and yeah. one yeah. with him yeah. in nature. And I thought about it. I'm like, man, I don't know how to respond to that. And I'm like, hmm. Uh, I'm like, well, sir, I won't say his name, let me think about that. And he's like, what's there to think about? I'm like, because that doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. sound right. And I feel like you're trying to convince yourself that right. that's true. Mm-hmm. Right. And then yep. six days. Huh? You have six days. <laughs> <laughs> no, I a mom can say that to her son, all right? So you, I get that. But as a pastor to a much older gentleman that's been doing this his whole life, I'm like, golly. You know, and there's... Yeah. Um, when this was a, a like a chapter or two ago that we we were kind of discussing similar to this, where there's a witness to the power of God and then there's knowing the person and understanding the person. Mm-hmm. A witness to the power of God is knowledge. I can go outside and I could see the trees and I could see biology. I can see just how the world works and that we all exist. Like wow, God must be real because mm-hmm. there's no way right. this world could exist if there wasn't a designer. Mm-hmm. Do I know the person of Jesus Christ? I don't. So you don't understand God. You don't know all of the person either. And I, I think I said this, may, maybe it was two weeks ago, a similar description would be if Jonathan Dinger built this classroom and say, do it. I come in here, I'm like, wow, look what Jonathan Dinger built. He must be a great guy. I've witnessed the power of Jonathan Dinger and what he can build. Do I know him? Do I understand the person? <laughs> it could be. Because we have pictures of him. We know he lived. But, but do you know and understand him? him? Have you yeah. met, like, have you had an encounter with the Abraham Lincoln? No. In the same sense, it's only God through his word and that, we, that we get to understand and experience him and know him in his entirety. I can know about him through things that he's done, but to know him truly requires an indwelling of the Holy Spirit and counting those promises that, you know, you don't encounter... I don't look at the mountains and say, wow, Jesus Christ is real. I, I can't understand the person. And if you don't understand Jesus, you, you don't know who God is. Right? right? It's right. knowing Paul by only looking at his shoes. Yeah. It's different. Go back to also the traditions of the church. Where Paul says later on, you know, you'll gathering together. Oh, I, yeah, I haven't, even, I haven't even touched that part yet. Uh, <laughs> I'm starting way in the beginning. Yeah. And... Uh, you go back, and I, I, I said this before too, you go back to the practices of the early church, you got to think also the closer, the closer you are to the source, kind of the more pure the information can be. It's like when people get 2,000 years out, why do we gather together in church? Why? Just because they did before? Yeah? Like, that's, that's not yeah. the only reason? There's a start. It's like, yeah, at the close of the time when Jesus was out there preaching, he was with people, preaching and teaching his people his word. That's just the beginning. God calls us always into community, a royal priesthood, to be fed, to be apostles. And when we talked about Bible translations, I have a, a very particular problem with a few significant translations. Do you know why? It's only one person who did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, was person translated? Yep. 
well, when one person translates God's word and there's nothing, mm-hmm. and there, there are gifts like Martin Luther did that. He, may, he, he was one guy, sure, but then there were many other scholars after him who, you know, went through the text, assured that it was true, and he did his very best. But you can kind of, if I'm just one translator, mm-hmm. well, I don't like the way God says this. I'd much prefer if people interpret it this way. And you just, well, who do you have to keep you accountable? Mm. No one. So those who say they can be out in the world and be like, of course I believe in God and I'm a Christian but never go to church. Well, that's what's so incredible about the Dead Dead Sea Scrolls and the... Mm -hmm. the, uh, how much it aligns with uh, the, you know, the current edition of oh, Isaiah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They just oh, use absolutely. Isaiah. I don't, I don't know about the other books. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's, yeah, it's pretty faithful. Yeah, and, so you, get, and you get to, like, some other... whoever the scribes were, were had enough... Well, I think they had... I don't know why, but I, yep. uh, to me it's like maybe maybe it's the fear of God. Mm-hmm. If I don't stay true to this word... Well, you would hope so, right? <laughs> you would hope so. But if you don't have the accountability of others... Yeah, well, absolutely. There's not, there's not an assurance there. Right? Yeah. Same yeah. thing. If I can be a rogue Christian out there in the world, and I'm like, no, I'm good. You know, a ronin, right? That's what samurai were, right? I'm a ronin. I'm out there on my own. I don't have the accountability of others. And Christ calls us into community for accountability. You think of just what Jesus says, like, hey, if you have a disagreement with someone, you take someone else with you to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Then you take a, a group of people within your congregation to talk to them. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of people to care for one person. And you don't have the accountability. All of a sudden, God can be whatever I want him to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't answer your question entirely, but it, we can get a lot deeper. But I'm going to move on a little bit. Is that okay? That sounds good. Good. <laughs> who just who just time clocked me? They're like it's ten thirty. I'm like <laughs> I know. <laughs> but good responses on all of that. <laughs> so so we move on. We we have so he's starting off with like you kind of have to wind up before you can throw the pitch. He's saying you guys are acting a lot more like that natural person than you are the spiritual. Move on, and so this is, so I, that's misspelled. That's Socrates, right? There should be an R there. That's what this is. That P over there, that's actually an R. So that's Socrates. Behavior which is typical of human nature, but with special focus upon more base physical desires. So that's what that word translates to when we're saying in the flesh, right? That's three and four. Let me read that for you. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. So, of the flesh. That, that phrase, of the flesh, we think it's like, oh, you know, kind of giving in to desire here and there. What it means, more like literally and ideologically, it's dominated by the flesh. And it's not just like uh, an oppressor is on you and dominating you. It's an allowance. You are allowing yourself to be dominated by the flesh, is what Paul's saying here. So when it says... You are still of the flesh. What he's saying is you are still allowing yourself to be dominated by the flesh. For while there is still strife and jealousy among you, are you not allowing yourself to be dominated by the flesh, behaving only in a human way? So there's, um, gosh, will I get into this? Will I? I'll say it. We can see how this parallels the natural person, Mm -hmm. Right? And kind of the infant, but al- allowing yourself to be dominated by the flesh, that's where you're in a transition. There is no longer a slave master of sin that is holding you back. Rather, uh, they still want to dominate you and pursue you, and you say, okay, I will let it happen. 
That's the allowance that he's talking about. So this, this phrase, I say this with caution because it doesn't apply to all situations. Let me start off with that. This doesn't apply to all situations, but maybe you've heard this before. Um, uh, you could say giving into temptation or making a mistake happens by accident. When you make the same mistake two or three times, it becomes a decision. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before. Again, it doesn't apply to every single situation. I get that. Um, but that's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying, hey, they're slipping up, but you are allowing continued domination by temptation and flesh. You are giving into everything. And, and we mentioned a lot of the cultural practices back then that they were giving into. It was easy when all your friends are having a party and it's to Apollos, and you're like, man, I want some of that meat. Sure, yeah, woo, Apollos. Worship him. Great, now give me a leg of lamb or, or whatever it is, right? They're saying, I'm free. In, their, their defense of this would be like, well, aren't I free in Christ anyway? So I could do this. And Paul's saying, like, aren't I free in Christ? That's a spiritual milk. You got that. But you're not ready for the solid food if you, if you use that as an excuse. Mm-hmm. And you, you hear that, you know, dare I say, you're, we're almost convicted sometimes in the church, especially in this area, right? We try to avoid using the word good works. Why? There's another uh, religious sect or cult in this area that uses that as their proponent for that's how you're saved. So sometimes we back too far away from them and say, no, 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 that's not how you're saved. So now I won't do any good works just to show you. Well, okay, like you, you went too far. It's like good works are literally defined as works for the sake of your neighbor, which we do because we are saved. It's like don't, don't go so far the other direction. Don't use your, your spiritual milk as an excuse for not engaging in solid food. Well, it's almost like in our, like in our services, mm-hmm. the, um, when, you're, uh, when you're worshiping and then the you know, pastor will say, well, this is your response to that. Yep, always. So, Mm-hmm. You know, our, our salvation, our mm-hmm. freedom. Mm-hmm. So our response to that should yep. be Always. more mature. Yes. More there you go. Yeah. You've you got the whole chapter in a <laughs> nutshell right there. So 3 verse 4 is a reference to 112. I'm gonna, I'll jump to 112 for you here. I'll just read this out loud. So 1 verse 12, Paul writes... What I mean is each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Cephas, I follow uh, Apollos, or I follow Christ. So when we jump back to verse 4 in chapter 3, he's saying, For one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos. Are you not merely being human? So before, when you were kind of picking up all these different teachers and you dedicating yourself to teachers rather than to what the teachers are doing, and Paul will refer to this in a second, the teachers are meant to plant and to water. God is the one that does the growth. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yet you're attributing the growth to, oh man, if you don't listen to, I don't know, who's if, uh, if you don't listen to Billy Graham on podcast, you're not a Christian. Because <laughs> that's where the seeds are. And it's like, no, well, that's where, that's, where your, that's where your growth will come from. And that's not true. You consider that like the seeds are planted by those who are sharing God's word and they're watered. Jonathan and I water the seeds. Does that mean the plant will grow? No. No. It happens all the time, right? Have, like, you get seeds and you water them, you're like, I don't know why it didn't grow. I did everything I was supposed to. In the same sense, Paul's saying, don't worship Paul. Don't worship Apollos, right? They're the cedar and the water. God is the one who does the growth. Sorry, i got, I got to move fast now. Why ask what? Let's read three through 
chapter 3, 5 through 6. Someone have that? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Okay, thank you. So we kind of touched on that a little bit. So Paul says what rather than who. Right, and that's fascinating here. Uh, what then is Apollos and what then is Paul? Or what, yeah. What then is Apollos, what is Paul? He doesn't ask who. He asks what. So what is the function of these people, these ministers? So when you ask what, you ask for a function. Who, you ask for an identity. You know, unpack the metaphor. Oh, we, I kind of did that already very quickly. Right, but you consider how, how often this pops up, and you see this throughout Scripture. John 15, right, verses 4 through 6. Can someone pull that up for me? Just flip through. And then someone else to Matthew 13. You'll probably know Matthew 13. That's the parable of the sower. As you do that, I'll read verse 7 because it will build into it. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Uh, but only God who gives the growth, he who plants and he who waters are one, and will each receive wages for his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, is what he says. What is John 15? Please remain take. in me, and I will remain in you. Mm -hmm. no, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. There we go. So again, we're talking about the word, and that word remain can also be translated to the word abide. And abide, what it means is not just to remain in, but it's where you get strength from, where you draw sustenance from, right? And Jesus says, remain in me, you will draw sustenance from me and produce fruit because of it. Like not live. Hmm? Like live. Well, more than live, but even producing fruit, which fruit is often says good works, fruit for the sake of your neighbor so, they can, so you can share life, you get that from drawing from Christ. What happens when the branch is cut off? It doesn't produce fruit anymore. And then Matthew 13, um, who, is, who is Matthew 13? Yeah, you know, the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. Mm -hmm. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly uh, because uh, on rocky places where it did not have much soil, or the seed, because, oh, it sprang up quickly because it was mm -hmm. shallow. The soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. 160 or 30 times what was sown. Uh, whoever has ears, let them let them hear. Yeah, you stop there, right? So again, you have this other image of seeds, and then, but not every seed produces a plant. When I was a new Christian, I, when I read that parable, my prayer all the time—I mean, every time I prayed—was, "Lord, do not let me be one that's just in rocky soil. You know, I want this to be the real thing. Don't let me spring up to be scorched by the sun because my roots were shallow." Prayed for that all the time. I think I think I'm all right now, but I would never want to like guarantee. It's it's been it's been over a decade. And I think I, I hope I hope it's a lot better now. But that was my prayer. I'm like, man, I don't want maybe, but maybe it is. 
Oh, I hope, but I pray it's not. I think the fact that you pray that you're not a seed in rocky soil is probably a good sign. Yeah. But I've read that parable all the time. And we hear it constantly, these metaphors. All the time, Jesus says, pray for workers of the harvest because the fields are white with harvest. We need to send those in there to harvest it, right? Mm-hmm. So you read both of those. Uh, the first one, nothing can be produced apart from Christ. And here... If we're the, and you could take this, this uh, parable a few ways. One of them would be the preacher or anybody, not just the preacher. It could be any of us that goes out and shares God's word. is like throwing seeds out into a field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm doing what I can. I'm seeding, as Paul's kind of explaining here in 1 Corinthians. And whether it's the rain or someone else comes and waters it, it's God that does the growth. God's determined which seeds will fall in good soil. God's the one that inspires the growth within a person. Sometimes there's only so much that you can do. So what he's talking about, don't worship Paul. Don't worship Apollos. Worship the one that gives the growth. I'm going to skip this question. It's a good question. Maybe I'll go back to it one day. Eight and nine. So which one of the main reasons, what is one of the main reasons, that's what it should say, Paul is writing this letter, and how do these verses address that? Let me read eight and nine for you. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. And he'll build into that metaphor more. So if you recall, and you always want to have this in consideration as you look at the book of 1 Corinthians, there are two main reasons he's writing this. What was number one? Because of fighting. Infighting. Yeah. Division in the church. Mm-hmm. Number two. You wrote me a letter that had questions in it, and I'm answering them. Those are the two reasons he's writing this letter. The principal reason he's getting to here, and he's going to make sure this is wrapped up before he gets to the questions, is he's like, you shouldn't be divided not just among teachers, but also amongst you within the denomination. Even I and Apollos, we are one. We may have different functions, but it's all for the same purpose of God. If they're focused on if they're focused on God, sometimes yes. Sometimes the leaders can focus on their own thing and then it becomes divisive. Well, yes, absolutely. In, that, in this case, they were both focused on God. Yes, in this case, they were. So if you're so. combined, you're getting your nourishment from the same body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But even, you know, the bark on the branch is different than the leaves on the branch. Same branch, different functions, different purpose, all for the same goal and kind of producing fruit through what they're abiding in. Right? Co-workers with God. We see this a lot. Oh, man. Um, but we see this uh, let's do this if someone, can, can someone go to John 4 start at verse 27 for me I'll, I'll flip to Matthew 9 hope I can navigate this thing pretty quickly I do it all the time Matthew 9 Matthew 9 okay Matthew 9 verse 9 35 to 38. I'll go first if someone else gets John. The harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. Oh, I just referred to this, right? Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. I love that word, compassion. It's called splachnitzomai in the Greek, and it means a, a, uh, a motivation or derivative yearning from the guts is what it says, from the very bowels of humanity. He's, he felt such compassion on them, it's like something reached into his stomach and twisted his guts that he had to do something. 
um, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So again, the focus is it's his harvest, but he's working through people, right? When Paul says we are co-workers alongside God in his field, what's fascinating, he says that these, these gospels aren't written yet. The first gospel of Mark's written in 70 AD, Paul's writing in 55 AD. And you're just like, how can the word of God just be so incredible that this gospel is written, not, not tied to this, and Paul's obviously not the author of both of them. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing how it all ties together. And then um, John 4. Who had John 4? Please take it. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, oh, yes. what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, mm-hmm. come and see a man who told me all I ever did. Mm-hmm. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Mm-hmm. So the disciples said to one another, has, he, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Mm-hmm. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I send you, I sent you to reap that mm-hmm. for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Right. It's amazing how it all connects together. And then there's, gosh, where is it? I'd have to Google where it is. Yep, excuse me on this. But when, when Jesus refers to like the, the one who goes out and they, they harvest the fields, oftentimes we don't want to go out and do any harvesting. We don't want to invite, you know, whether it's an invite to church or whether it's just talking about our faith, you know, and just talking to people one-on-one about Christ. It's like because there are so many thorns out there. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, reap it all. Bring it all into my storehouses, and I will be the one that sorts them. Your job isn't sorting. Your job is harvesting, right? And harvesting which you hadn't sown, whether it's by the words of people who have gone before you, standing on the shoulders like, of those who have gone before you, like Paul, or, you know, there, there are weird people like me, where it's like I had a belief in God, but didn't, had no idea who Christ was or church, and slowly but surely kind of, you know, was brought in by several different people, very important people in my life. You know, it could go from nothing. It could be people at some. It could be those who are spiritual that are saying, that are trying to justify their reason for either not attending worship or, or not being engaged in the relationship with God. These are all spiritual infants. And what do you have to do with an infant? You gotta, you gotta feed it. You gotta raise it a bit. Because you can't harvest it yet. And that's, I think, a lot of times some people, mm-hmm. when they're really sowing, they're trying to harvest at the same time. Yep. Can't go too fast. And that's why I, I, one of my, I guess you'd say my personal evangelism models, be friends with them first. You'll listen to a friend a lot more than you will a stranger. And especially one who cares for you. And kind of, you know, set boundaries on what your friendship is like. So you kind of have a, a role you could speak into their lives. Don't go out and get drunk together and then try and tell them about Jesus the next day. It's, very, it's kind of counter, counterproductive. Uh, oh, 
I got through it all. Hot dog. I'm late. I have to go. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord, for your word and your growth, that you produce growth within us. And Lord, we see the field is white with harvest, and you tell us, get off the spiritual milk. I want to feed you with, with a greater understanding of me and the blessings that I have for you. I want to give you solid food. And when you do that, we grow. We grow as mature uh, Christians, and as we grow into those mature Christians, Lord, help us see your purpose for the world and, and for us, to send us as workers into the harvest, to reap the field. So, um, Lord, we ask you to help with continuing to help us mature and to grow. pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Look, we're, so, we're cruising through this book. We're almost halfway through chapter three. <laughs> we're not even in the hard stuff. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.